Uh, hi, everybody. Hold on, let me fix this. Ah. Ah. <laughs> See, we put in an extra monitor, and it turns out that the same, the remote for this monitor and that monitor are exactly the same. So if you go to turn on that monitor, it could turn this one off or on like half the time. So it's like this. Everything we get, it's got like some kind of demon activity in it. So besides the people. Uh, what if today was your last day on earth? For a lot of people it is. I did a quick Google search. And found out that in the world, every minute, 106 people die. 100 people die. So by the time I'm, I'm about one minute into since I started talking, roughly 100 people on planet Earth have died. That works out to be 56 million people per year. Uh, <clears throat> if today was your last day as a believer in Jesus Christ, what would you have done differently? How would you have thought differently? How different would your perspective had been concerning events and people and you know, basically your overall outlook at, your, um, at everything? Um, and of course, I, I don't mean the, uh, the thought that a lot of people have that if it truly were my last day, I'd run up all my credit cards, max them out, and, uh, and quit my job. Tell my boss what I think about him finally and all that. But <clears throat> as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, each of us are sons and daughters of light. In multiple passages, we are given that term or that title because our Lord is light. The light became uh, the, his life. Sorry. In John 1, 4, the light became <laughs> I mixed it up again. The life became the light of the world. So Jesus is the light of the world and we're sons of light. So if we were actually were our last day to quit our job to go do something else would be not working as unto the Lord. But it would what I'm getting at in which all of us should ponder and we'll see that today and and that is how would I have thought differently? The perspective of imminency changes our perspective. How would we have lived today in terms of perspective, our goals, how you thought of others, if you were certain that the Lord was returning today, or there was a really good chance of it? One day, it's called the day of the Lord, we'll see it in our passage today. The day of the Lord, the Lord is going to return when no one expects Him. He will take with Him in that moment Perhaps it lasts a second. I don't know how long it lasts. It's described by Paul as a twinkling of an eye that's pretty quick. But in that day, in that moment, millions and millions of people will be taken from this earth to meet the Lord in the clouds of the air. And thus we'll be with the Lord, with the Lord forever. If I knew that to be true, then it would change my perspective on everything. And that's how Paul's going to use it in our passage. He's going to use it to encourage us to not get earthly bound and to stay heavenly bound, though we live on earth. 
So let's open up in prayer. Uh, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's pray and thank God for our time and to be reminded that the Word of God is alive and powerful and it demands our utmost respect and concentration and that uh, with humility and reverence, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be here and to be your people, knowing that our Lord is returning at any moment. We are so grateful, Father, for the perspective that this gives us and how it alters our view of the things in our lives, most certainly the material things in our lives, and that... You know, as as we could say with with Job, who famously said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And that that is what is of most importance, is who you are and our relationship to you, which you have solidified in Christ Jesus our Lord through his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within that brings these truths alive so that they are more than just knowledge but actually uh, a way of life that each of us knows that we possess and know that we can live through your power and your power alone. And we ask, Father, that through your Spirit we would understand and comprehend each of us more, more surely what these passages mean. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So Paul, uh, in our letter, continues to encourage the Thessalonian believers. That's really the main theme of this letter, is that Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians, despite persecution and despite the suffering that they are experiencing, that they continue to live godly and faithfully and lovingly. And so they lived a Christian life, and he, and he uh, exhorts them to do it even more so as time goes on. Uh, And so, added to this then is the alertness. And so, when you look at a main theme, like, and it's very broad, you know, Paul's going to encourage someone to keep going spiritually. Within that, within the text, there's a lot of things that contribute to that main theme of exhortation. You know, what's going to motivate me to keep going despite all the things that are trying to stop me? And one of them is the return of the Lord. Uh, The other is the fact of what we are in Christ Jesus, which he makes an issue out of that uh, with them. He makes an issue out of the gospel. And he also makes an issue out of the fact that we are a family that belongs to God. And since we are, we're to treat one another in a certain way, which is love. So the theme of our particular passage here now, and, and really this is not the theme of the passage, this is a sub-theme of the passage, and that is since the Lord has come in imminently, be spiritually watching, be vig- vigilant and alert. Uh, vigilant, and, and you, you know, for these words, they essentially come from, and I'm sure that uh, Paul is, is borrowing them or really taking them from our Lord's teaching on certain parables where stewards were put in charge of a master's house and they didn't know when the master was coming back. Because they didn't know, uh, they either 
could squander their time in doing what the master didn't want them to do, or they could be prepared for the master every day, every moment, expecting his return. And when the master returned and saw certain people behaving certain ways, he was either happy about that or he was extremely angry about that. Uh, the reason why this is important is because all believers have a tendency to go to sleep spiritually. And what I mean by that is our lives go on fairly consistent routines. Mondays are Mondays. Tuesdays are Tuesdays. They, For many of us, they hold to the same sort of pattern. Uh, even the timing of it in our, in our lives are, is, is roughly identical uh, each week. To particular days. You know, if you're if you're like me, you have like a sleep in day. I, you know, I have one day where if I want to sleep in, I can't. Uh, the other days, I I have to be up at a certain time or I don't get my work done. Uh, and you know, I I wonder what it was like in the days before clocks. You know, there was a day. Most of human history has been lived without clocks, and it's not like you you know you had to be up by the sundial. You know, who, who cared? You know, you were up either when the sun came up and you went to bed when the sun went down or, you know, however that worked. To not be on a clock it must have been magnificent. Uh, in our lifetime, great events don't happen often. I, like, for, obviously, the rapture of the church hasn't happened. But, you know, it's, we're not expecting in the church like another coming of Christ. If he come when he comes again, we're gone. So, you know, there's nothing. We're not going to be here expectantly waiting for anything. In fact, we are expectantly waiting, but our days meld into days. Days become weeks. Weeks become months. Months become years. And, you know, if we're not careful, 20, 30, 40 years can go by. And we've basically squandered our time. Uh, human rights has always been, and it's easier to do now more than it ever is, to be distracted by one thing to the next thing to the next to the next uh, through our cell phones, computers, our TVs, our whatever entertainment or media or whatever we're using that we can uh, just squander the whole day away and do nothing that has any eternal significance. So <clears throat> the imminent, so why is this important? is that the imminent coming of the Lord means that every day is my last. Now, I, it hasn't happened so far. <laughs> but that doesn't mean today isn't. So, this is great. The argument in Second Peter, uh, that's the second epistle of Peter, just in case you were confused between that and First Peter. Uh, so, in Peter's second epistle, he writes scathingly, like, it's awesomely uh, acidic and, and poignant and attacking against false teachers. Second Peter chapter 2, it's all about false teachers. They're lustful, they're greedy, they're like animals. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't fear God. They, they, on and on he goes. And then he says, you know, they keep saying also, when he rolls into chapter 3, he says, you know, they keep saying... That you guys keep saying that the Lord is coming back, and he hasn't come back. So, 
you know, he's not coming back. <laughs> so, and, and, and Peter calls them stupid. He says they're stupid. And he puts their stupidity on display when he shows that their argument against the Lord returning is, now, I'm glad you're sitting because this is a big one, the argument against the Lord not coming back is that it hasn't happened yet. That's like saying next Saturday isn't, probably isn't going to happen because it's Tuesday. You know, like, because something hasn't happened, and, and by their arguing, argument, we should just throw out all prophecy that hasn't been yet fulfilled, despite the fact that all prophecy before our day has been perfectly fulfilled. Um, and it's just plain old stupid. So when we say, you know, like, all right, I've been alive 57 years and, oh, for me, what, like a month? 50, 57 years and one month, and the Lord hasn't come back yet, so he's probably not coming back today. Now, when I get up in the morning, I might be right. But if, I'm, if I think that way, then I'm missing the point of imminency. Is it likely that he won't come back today. Well, after 2,000 years, he hasn't come. So, in all essence, so much time has gone by since the fact that he hasn't come that it gets more probable every day, doesn't it? So, you know, if we're going to look at it mathematically, and the point is imminency. That's why it's important... Why is it important to live in anticipation of the Lord and enjoy the fruits of godliness that result from knowing that he can return at any moment? And that is that, look, here on earth, there ain't a lot of good things going on. In some people's lives and in some corners of of this earth, there's magnificent work being done. I mean by believers, unto the Lord, unto one another. Uh, There are pockets of them everywhere. But for the most part, there is, a, there is a lot of evil going on. And that evil infects us, it attacks us, it persecutes us. And so we can start to get our minds really focused on the earth and being like, well, how am I going to fix this and that? And how am I going to stop that person from hurting me? Or how am I going to fix this situation that's causing me problems or pain? And, you know, what I'm, and, and so what I do is I get my mind so earthly bound. But here's the thing. If the Lord is going to come back at any moment, the moment he does, and I, I'll say even rapture, right? Because in rapture theology, he's not touching the earth when he comes the first time. But, you know, even in that, I'm raptured. We're all raptured. And therefore, this earth, is not absent of him. I don't know if I'm making this as clear as I want it to. It happens. But, you know, when I look at the drabness of this earth and the evil and the unfairness and the injustice and the, the, you know, the poor and the hungry and the whatever, you know, those who are downtrodden, you know, is the Lord abandoned this earth? Is has he just thrown it in the trash heap? And the answer is no. He's coming back for it. 
at any moment. And that adds something to my earthly life. The fact that a Lord at the right hand of God can be here, and yeah, it's a long way to travel, but not for Him. In the twinkling of an eye, He can be here. And that kind of changes everything here. And the way I look at it, and it changes me. And that's what Paul's getting at here. That's why it's important. Paul writes about the coming of the Lord in order to encourage the Thessalonians and therefore in order to encourage us. Uh, It's to get their eyes off of seeking things in the earth. As we remember in this book, the Thessalonians are being persecuted mightily. They're suffering mightily. And as we saw like on Sunday in the previous paragraph to this, it's likely that some in Thessalonica have died since Paul left. And it's only been a few months. And they're like, Paul told us about resurrection. We believe that. But then I'm looking at old Uncle Bill on a cold slab right in front of me. He doesn't look very resurrected. You know, like these are, these are people who are brought up in a pagan world. And death to them is final. Or death to them was final. And they're trying to wrap their minds around this. So Paul uh, is trying to get us as he did to them, off the path that so easily gets our mind entangled in earthly affairs. So Paul would write this to Timothy. He says he would write, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. And that was true of Roman soldiers. You know, it would be true of any soldier who's on active duty. And we are certainly on active duty as believers. So in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he's encouraged them to live holy and sanctified lives to increase even more. He has used himself as an example. He has commended them for their faith, their hope, and their love. And uh, he gives them uh, himself as an example, Paul does, in order to saying that you know he, he himself uh, had suffered at the hands of evil men, just like they are. Then he tells them, as we, as we studied on Sunday, that, um, that their loved ones who have died are actually going to rise first. So the dead in Christ shall rise, and they rise first. So they're not to be, uh, as they were, uh, uh, rather confused and uncomfortable about those who had died. And then now he reminds them that the Lord is returning any day. And there are many ramifications to the imminent return of the Lord. There's so many of them. In fact, I, I started to make a list, and then the list got too long uh, as I started to give it my own detail. So what I want for this particular study uh, you know, of our Lord's imminent return is to affect you in the ways... I want you to think of the ways that it affects you. Um, you know, and really think about it and talk to God in prayer about it, which will help you think about it because it's extremely important. So look at First Thessalonians 5.1. We'll read the passage and we're just going to focus on the alertness uh, today because there's so much here. But verse 1, now as the times and the epics. Uh, epics is a Greek word that means seasons. Right, so, 
you know, historians often use these words to, you know, map out certain periods of time. Like, how long is an epic? Well, you know, an epic. I don't know. It sounds long, doesn't it? <laughs> but a season. How long is a season? And that's uh, that's what this word really means in Greek. It means a a period of time or a season. So. We could say now as to the times and the seasons. And I, I like the word seasons because seasons change. And when the Lord returns, it's going to be a new season. But what is, you know, is seasons in our lives change. So as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need for any you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And bam, we're off. What does it mean to come as a thief in the night? Well, the Lord talks about this himself. He taught on this himself quite a few times. And you, the, the thief comes in the night, not in the day. Why is that? Because he doesn't want to be seen. And so the, the thief at night is this wonderful imagery of an unexpected robbery. You know, the most successful kind. So... Um, Unfortunately for us, and I, I am wondering if God has done this on purpose, he uses the word times here, which is what the whole hullabaloo of eschatology is really about, is time. You know, uh, the, post, the post-trib people, mid-trib people, pre-trib people, why, you know, why are they pre-mid and post? Is because they have predicted a time. They say, you know, there's many out there now who who believe that the Lord isn't coming back. He's only coming back once. In other words, he's not coming back twice. There isn't a rapture and then a second coming, but both of those events are the same event. And that's post-tribulational rapturism, I guess you could call it. And, uh, you know, why do they believe that? Well, they they have certain reasons. We're going to go into it later. We're not going to go into it today. Uh, but we will, and um, the whole argument between them all, the, what they're arguing about, is the when. And notice here, Paul says, as to the times and the epics, brethren, and uh, man, then he could have wrote a whole bunch of detail and cleared up the whole thing. As to the times, he said, here's the times, here's the list. As to the, as to the seasons, here they are, actually... Times and seasons are likely just one. You know, you know how like we use two, two, two nouns to mean the same thought. That's probably what they're used for here. Uh, anyway, but because Paul says nothing needs to be written to you because you already know it, isn't that? I I love it. I love the fact that you know Paul could have right here ended all arguments about eschatology if he had filled it in. But as he's writing, he's writing to the Thessalonians, they say, oh, they already know this, I already taught them this, so I'm not going to write it down. Which means for the, all of church history, we don't know that. It has to be done on purpose by God, right? All right, that excites me. I can see it excited you very much. You yourselves know full well that the day, verse 2 again, full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, and this occurs a few times in the Old Testament, and I think I you know Hosea was specifically 
where people are like, well, and before the flood, right? People are like, yeah, you know, everything's going to be great. Always, everything's great. And before the before the flood, the world is is way better than it is now in terms of economy and uh, you know people in general, except for the fact that they're wicked, evil. But the environment's better. I mean, it's not it's not long after the fall. And the people believe, you know, things are just going to go on like this forever. And then what? Bam, it starts raining. <laughs> you know, when God brings this, when he brings judgments, hey, like on Israel, how, you know, was it, was it a slow lead up? No, it, it, when Israel was taken into captivity, it comes quick. They're warned slowly over years. But when the hammer finally comes down where God says, all right, seasons are going to change, it always happens quickly. Hence, thief in the night. So, the world is saying peace and safety. is just like the, the argument against that Peter writes about in Second Peter. Yeah, he hasn't come back in 2,000 years. Come on, he's not coming back. If he's taken this long, he's not coming back. That's the argument. So, while they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. Another fine imagery of imminency. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. The day here meaning the day of the Lord. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do and let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So the con- we have a, a, immediately the, the conflict, or I should say the contrast, of light and darkness, which is a super uh, foundational theme throughout the Scripture. And so... Who's of the day and who's of the light? That's all believers. Who's of the darkness are unbelievers. And since we are believers and we're of the day, we should not be like those who are of the night. Now then Paul uses, just like he uses the imagery of a thief in the night, birth pangs upon a woman who's pregnant. (laughs) I don't know whoever, who else, what other kind of woman birth pangs would come upon, but that's why you have a pastor. And uh, and then the imagery of what do people do at night? Well, he says two things, right? Sleeping, which of course we all do and, and it's not a sin, but then there's drunkenness, which is a sin. And so we have this contrast between what those of the darkness do and what those in the light do. And we are to be alert. So he's using sleeping here in a negative connotation because he's not talking about literal sleeping. He's talking about being alert or being asleep in spiritual in, in your spiritual life. So how would you be asleep in your spiritual life? Is you're just kind of going through the motions of life and you have no care or concern. Uh, concern's maybe the wrong word, but you have no excitement about the Lord's returning. You have no care about it. Uh, you have no care about the spiritual life or the scripture um, or the, you know you're not you're just uncaring and so mentally spiritually you're not 
praying, you're not studying, you're not following the Lord, you're not picking up your cross, on and on all these phrases, you're not doing it, and so you're basically asleep spiritually. We would liken it to James's description of that state where he says you're dead. Faith without works is dead, right? He used death in this same manner. That because as believers were alive and as believers were of the light, but yet Paul here tells us be sure not to walk in darkness. And he's gonna he's gonna really um, mature this image. When I say mature. This is Paul's first letter. It's about 50 A.D. Might be even a little sooner, but around 50, and about 12 years from now. He's going to write about this same thing, sleeping and drunkenness versus being awake and spiritual. He's going to write about the same thing in the book of Ephesians, but it's it's going to be more matured because 12 years have gone by. Paul has grown up. He understands more, and he writes it. He writes his theology so well concerning this very thing in Ephesians. But note the contrast. Those who sleep, those who are awake, darkness and light. And coming into the midst of all that is the Lord. The Lord appears, bam, like a thief in the night. Uh, So to finish it in verse 9, he says, For God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That's a great predestination verse there. This one, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. 4-9 4-9 is used by uh, uh, Calvinists quite often, and, and properly so. Uh, not that I'm a Calvinist, but we also know that. Anyway, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. But note that you're destined to salvation. That means before the foundation of the world, you were known by God. Uh, and he died for us, verse 10, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you were doing. So in the, the last line of verse 18 of chapter 4, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. And then it's really the same word. It's, it's uh, when he says here, encourage one another and build up one another with these words, just as you were doing. So imminency means what? Being alert. Go to Matthew. Let's see how the Lord does it. Uh, Matthew 24. Go to Matthew 24, 42. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, Jesus says, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not think he will. So, uh, again, we're going to get into it later, but there's theological and, and even non-theological arguing over 
you know, this is obviously imminent. Um, when it comes to the second coming, there's signs that are, have to come before the Lord returns. And there's many of them, actually. And so this looks rapture-ish, right? Um, but the writers don't always make the distinction. And that's why there's um, issue amongst Christians as to which is which. And when, when we do this, all I'm going to do is say, look, here's what the Bible says clearly. And here's what the scripture, you know, where things overlap and it's hard to separate the each piece into nice watertight compartments. It's kind of difficult to do that. And then you can, you know, make your own determination. And I've gone through it again and again, and I haven't still not left my position of a pre-tribulational rapture. It just seems to be the only one that, that fits the best. So anyway, so notice what I just did, right? And you probably won't remember it, which may be a good thing. I just spent like two minutes on some diatribe about, you know, what's rapture, what's second coming, how are they separate, what's scriptures, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I know there's some people who are super interested in that. I think most for most Christians, it's like that kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And you can almost see why. Because what is the main thought that Jesus has here? Does he is is if his main thought was dispensationalism, he would have said, "All right, let me tell you what's different about this coming and this coming." That's how he would have started it. But he starts with what alertness. You know, the fact that he's coming is almost secondary. To because the message is for us. The fact that he's coming again is not secondary to anything, of course. But to our lives now, the main issue, just like it is when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, is being alert. And Paul's going to use the same word in Ephesians 5. That, yeah, you know, we could sit here all day, think, you know, arguing back and forth about what passages are rapture and what passages are second coming and what passages overlap and which passages you can't really tell the difference. And we could line them all up on a sheet of paper and put them in columns and stuff and be like, well, there you have it. And then Jesus would have said, you know what? That's cool. And you probably learned something. But don't miss the main point of all of this. Is that he could be, I could be coming at any time. He didn't say you don't know the day here, which he didn't. He does say that in the first line. You don't know the day that your Lord is coming. And then in verse 44, he says, you don't know the hour. Now, in, you know, us smarty pant theologian Christians will say, well, you know, Lord, if I don't know the day, obviously I don't know the hour. Duh. Right, And we're getting cute with it. When What is Jesus saying here is that right to the very hour, you know, before the clock strikes four, I can be back. Are you looking for me? Are you alert for me? I personally know it's impossible, well, for me. <laughs> I've tried this exercise. To be thinking all the time that the Lord is returning... You know, I can only think of one thing at a time. And if I've got work to do on something, I can't be thinking of both. I'm just not geared that way. I know some people are, but I'm not. 
But the fact that I should be reminded of this every day, and is it not interesting and in fact poignant to this, that when the Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come, you know, when you're praying that, maybe we should add to it, and perhaps we should, your kingdom come, and that kingdom may come today. Now, I may be right in it, smack dab in it. If I'm raptured right now, I am smack dab in the real kingdom of God with all the rest of the body of Christ. How does that change my perspective on everything? And that's the point. The point is not getting our dispensational lines in the exact right place. We have to try to do that. I don't know why we wouldn't try to do that. right? If you're going to add up some numbers, you don't try to get it wrong. Of course you always try to get it right. But there's things in the Scripture, especially when it comes to eschatology, which are the prophecies of the end times, some of it is cloudy, to say the least. But what's not cloudy, what is very clear, is the Lord's coming back. What's also very clear is that he's coming at any time. That is going to change my perspective. Go to Luke 21. Luke 21. So, Jesus taught generally to the effect that we were, be, we were to be vigilant. We're to be that good steward, that when the Lord returns, He finds us doing what He wills. Luke 21:34. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Now, where have we seen these two words, dissipation and drunkenness, put together? And it's in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine. That's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I told, you know, the Scripture is consistent from the Lord to Paul. Be on guard, which means to be alert. Uh, the Greek, I don't know if that's the word used here. I'm, I'm thinking it probably is. But uh, Paul uses the same phrase, be on your guard, in Ephesians 5. And it's the Greek word for looking. It's blepo. Uh, it's one of my early vocab words. I'll never forget that word. Blepo means to watch. It means to look. And that's, it's a command in the second person plural, you look. Now, if someone commanded you with force and said, look, you know, obviously it's, it could, well, it could mean it's something cool to look at. But in the context here, it's watch out. You know, you're about to walk and step into a deep hole. You're about to walk off a cliff. A car's about to hit you. Look. Be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Right? You know what it also sounds like is the parable of the sower. The seed that was planted among the thorns had the uh, pursuit of pleasures, pursuit of money, worry. All these things caused the plant not to grow. So again, be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on alert at all times. 
praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. You know, and you have a contrast here between standing. You know, standing would here refer to the fact that, uh, you know, we're confident and, you know, we're uh, ready for his return. Uh, and, and that would be in contrast to drunkenness or dissipation and, and being weak. And notice it's like a trap. It comes upon you suddenly. Uh, go to Luke 12. Go back to Luke 12, verse 39. One more example. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. This is parallel to the Matthew passage. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. All right, so the Lord teaches this too, and it's centered on this very thing of alertness and being vigilant and being watchful. Uh, and also, uh, being, you know, what he included in this, as he said in the last passage, don't be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, or the worries of life, is that we're also living godly. So the next thing we want to ask ourselves is since all believers are going up in the rapture, and all of us are going to, I mean, I don't care how uh, bad your spiritual or maybe even non-existent your spiritual life may be, that that is going to be a time of great rejoicing and excitement and pleasure for everybody. So why should I bother? You know, why, why would that motivate me? The coming of the Lord at any time, why would that motivate me? To actually live godly. Whereas, I'm not going to hold up his little brochure again, but the, that little uh, track that somebody sent me, his argument was that if you teach a rapture, believers are going to do the opposite of what I just said. And they're all going to be like, well, if I'm going to heaven any moment, why should I bother living or doing anything besides what my flesh, you know, I'm just going to live fleshly. And, you know, the problem there isn't your eschatology. It's your love of the Lord. You know, it's, it's not the fact that, you know, according to the argument of the post-trib person, it's us going through the tribulation that really makes us fly straight. That danger, the coming, the coming um Suffering and horrible time of the tribulation is what causes us to stay on the narrow road. Is that true? It wouldn't be for me. You know, if it's not happening now, well, heck, I, I could just get right with God tomorrow or whenever the tribulation comes. And the fact that future suffering is coming, I don't think makes anybody straighten up. But what really does, which of course is what the Scripture says, that's right, we've got to be careful to stick with the Scripture, not what people say about it. What the Scripture says is that it's the love of God that keeps us on the narrow path. It's a, it's a true thankfulness for what He's given us. The fact that I'm a child of God, I'm a prince of heaven, that I have an inheritance with God, that I'm saved forever and that my Lord's coming back and if it were if it were just me that needed to be saved, he'd come all the way back for me. 
That's what changes a person. The mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God, that's what softens a heart. That's what people are drawn to. People are not drawn to God away from danger. That may start the process, but it doesn't remotely finish it. So we're going back to 1 Thessalonians 5. So while they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. When is this day coming? Nobody knows. The Lord said it. Paul says it. He says it to Titus. Where else is it? In First Corinthians? Um, Peter? Yeah, it's in Peter. And you know, it's, this is the imminency of it. There's plenty of other passages about the second coming of Christ. Those have signs before his coming uh, to establish his millennial reign. But this is imminency. So how is it that those who are in the light, how is it that those who are in the light are not overtaken like a thief? All right, so the image of being overtaken like a thief means that you don't expect the thief. As Jesus said, if you knew if the thief was coming, you would have protected your house. But none of us know when he's coming. So aren't we all going to be overtaken? The answer is yeah. But with believers, now think of this. This is, this is what clarified it for me. As I had, a, I had a mo- uh, uh, more than a moment of perplexity about this. But uh, it's crazy. I'm, I'm, I've dove, div, dr, divin, it's not divin, I dr, I've dove, doven, <laughs> and he's study English. Um, into all of this, all the books and the passages, and oh man, it's just, it gives you a headache because the one passage he's talking about a second coming, it seems, and another passage is the rapture, and then another passage, but like, but they, you try, you put them next to each other, and you say, well, they don't say the same thing, and then you got to go looking for more. Do you know how many times the day of the Lord is mentioned in the Old Testament? About a hundred, roughly. A little less. It's around 90-ish, 90-something. You know, so what are all, you got to get all those straight in your mind. And like, this is mentioned a lot. And yet, you know, what did the Lord say to the disciples before he ascended? They, what did they ask him? They said, is it now that you're bringing in your kingdom? And they're all excited for it. They're like, right, we're, you told us we're going to be on the 12 thrones of the tribes of Israel, we're going to rule, and this is going to be awesome. And he said, no, nah, it's not for you to know. The times. It's the same phrase that Paul uses. And it's not for you to know the times and the seasons by which the Father has established what? He meant the future. So, you know, we have a grasp of kind of what's going to happen, but we don't know all the details. And, but there's some things we know real well. And that one of them is imminency. That's what I'm focusing on today. 
if I don't know when he's coming, how is it I'm not overtaken like a thief? He said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Think about, this would help me, think about an unbeliever at the rapture and think about you at the rapture. If the rapture happened today, think about whatever unbeliever you know. They would be taken by surprise. And you and I would be taken by surprise. But their surprise would be complete perplexity for a long time. Our surprise would quickly, and I would think within seconds, maybe, you know, the whole twinkling of an eye thing is maybe less, but within a very short period of time, our awareness as to what has actually happened would kick in. And yes, we would be overtaken by surprise, but not by a thief. Right? The thief comes to kill and destroy. Uh, we would be overtaken by a husband, a brother, our loving Lord, our Savior, the one we long to see and be with. That is it's surprising, yeah, but it's not like being robbed. It's being surprised by the one that you love the most. Ugh got to be the most truly wonderful experience and you know from that viewpoint you can we can probably understand a little better why the Thessalonians would ask Paul about it but what about our our loved ones who have died do they experience that you know if you Paul had taught them about this he, he said that he was reminding them if from their viewpoint if they're saying well we who are alive, the Lord comes, and in that moment, there's that moment of, wow, you know, this, it's Him, and I'm resurrected, and I know what's happening. I've been taught about this. This <laughs> the realization is going to go through all of our heads that I'm experiencing the rapture right now. Like, right? It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. But what about the people who have died? So that's what, and so Paul said, well, they get risen first. I mean, not only do they not not experience it, but they experience it even before we do. And so he said, what? Comfort one another with these things. Your dead loved ones, you should actually be a little jealous of because they're going to see them first. Not like any of us are going to care. All that tit-for-tat that the human race has about I'm first or you're first. <clears throat> I see it in the little kids. You know, uh, Chris takes care of other kids besides Maggie and there. It is inherent. The inherent sinfulness of a human is amazing. You know, now I, didn't, I was too young to be looking at it so well in Alyssa, but now with Maggie and I'm older and I can see it, I, I know I'm... You know, I, I see it more clearly. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. I want to be first. I want to have the bigger plate of food. Even though I'm not going to eat it, I just want it to be bigger. Uh, I want, you know, sometimes we'll pour them both a glass of milk, and if they're not the exact right level, they'll start fighting about who gets the one that has more, even though they're not going to drink at all. I'm, I look at them and I go, you guys are idiots. I don't say it. I think it. But of course you are. You're six years old. I'm still an idiot. 
show. This imminency should change our perspective of everything around us and all the people in our lives. And yes, it can happen today. I I am so grateful that I have the privilege of studying this stuff and going over these passages yet again. Because since the last time that I looked at this at any depth, I, you know, it, it wanes in your soul. Just like I was reminded the other day that my prayer life, which was at its height when we finished studying prayer, started to decline to older levels. And I caught it. And I, uh-uh. I want it back to where it was because that was far more wonderful. That relationship with God where prayer was at was better. And the same here. You know, that's why we have to keep being reminded. Paul said to them, you already know this stuff, but I'm going to write it to you anyway. And all of us need it. <clears throat> so the day of the Lord comes unexpectedly. And it is important that we are alert, watchful, and doing the Lord's will at all times. Why does it matter? How would you like to be found by your loved one when they show up? So, what, with another woman? <laughs> That's the extreme. But, you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you want to be found by him? One thing we have to be rid of, and it's my final application to this today, is this bottom line mentality that, hey, and, you know, as people think, if we tell all the Christians that they're all going to get raptured and that they're not going to go through hell first or purgatory or something, you know, you've got to pay for it, then, you know, they're all just going to live like hell. But what's the motivation here that Paul gives? What does he write of? He's taking this message and sending it to the Thessalonians. He doesn't have in his mind that, all right, I'm going to write a half a letter now, and I know I'm going to write Ephesians later, and I'm going to write Philippians then, and I'm going to write... He doesn't know that at all. Ephesians is 12 years from this, at least. He doesn't doesn't even know he's going to write Ephesians yet. He, he, He puts in here exactly what they need to hear. And what they need to hear to be those who, so um, what does he say to them? He, he says, let me go back to the beginning here, just to state it. He says, we're not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Since we are of the day, let us be putting on, let us be sober, and then wear the armor of God which he describes a bit differently. This is the first time he writes of the armor of God. When he writes about it in Ephesians, it's 12 years later. His ideas on the armor of God have matured. There's more pieces to it. But anyway, breastplate of faith and love, helmet and hope, the hope of salvation. Um, And so he says, encourage one another, build up one another. Why? Why? Why should we do that if we're all going to get raptured anyway? And his 
argument is simply that you're a child of light. That's why. And see, what a lot of people are, because the earth is like this, is that it's all bottom line. In other words, if I live for God, what am I going to get? Peter, our lovely Peter, who spoke all these things that we think would rather not say, but Peter's just a blockhead. He says it anyway. He said, behold, it's one of those times where he says, behold to the Lord. Behold, we have left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? What do we get? Can you imagine? I'm, I'm sure after the resurrection, he thought back to those very words. I know he would have. He would have never forgotten that he said them. And be like, man, what an idiot I was. What do I get out of this? Seriously? You think they were looking for anything other than just the Lord himself? And and that's what God is trying to do to us. To get rid of this what's in it for me mentality and be like, when my Lord comes, I want to be found by him as the faithful steward. Because I love him. Now, we've uh, got a bit more to do on this. Uh, And what we want to remember for today is that the Lord can return at any time. And therefore, we must be alert, as he says, sober, which means spiritual, and always looking for the Lord in terms of living spiritually as we should. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for the message of truth that comes from the imminency of our Lord's return. We long for Him to return. If it would be today, that would be terrific. As it says at the very end of the Bible, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so, Father, uh, but until that time, we seek to be Your stewards, faithful. And show us how, Father. Help us through Your Spirit not to forget the coming of our Lord at any day. We ask in Christ's name, amen.